parenting is often described as an emotional roller coaster. It moves fast, it's filled with twists and turns, and one minute you're flying at the top of the hill totally loving it, and the next you're plummeting downhill completely losing your shit. Parenting can be hard, like really freaking hard, but it doesn't have to be lived in such extremes. It's possible to get off that roller coaster and create a space for your family that feels calm, balanced, and fun. This is where I want to help. I want to help you create that space between the extremes, the space where you're able to truly connect with your kids, find room for your own growth, and even enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Raising You and Me podcast, a place for parents to come, gather the tools to help you create your own version of heart-centered parenting in order to start connecting more meaningfully with your kids and yourself. Join me in conversations that will help lift your spirit, make you laugh, define your values, get clear on your goals for your family, and bring the joy back into parenting. All right, friends, let's go. Hi, friends. I'm Erin, a mom of two girls, lover of all things DIY, and your heart-centered parenting cheerleader. Today, we're talking all about feelings, which feels like a really good place to kick things off since... 2020 is definitely the year that has taken us through just about every feeling there is. And a lot of us have had to really adapt our coping mechanisms to work with this new reality we find ourselves in. I know for me personally, this year has brought about some major, major mindset shifts. It's been a challenging year to say the least, but mostly I feel grateful. Grateful that you're listening, grateful that you're trusting me with your time, And for that, I'm sending you the biggest thank you. I really appreciate you being here. Another thing I want to make really clear before we start is that although I'm going to be the one talking about feelings and my experience with emotional coaching, and I'm going to be providing some tools to help you do this with your own kids, I don't pretend to be perfect at this. I am not perfect at this. My kids are not perfect at this. We work at this consistently. There are days when I get frustrated, where I have to go back and apologize for not showing up the way I want to. There are days when I think, I can't have one more feelings talk today. No one is perfect at this. We're all doing our very best. And for this episode, I just hope that you find something useful or inspiring in it that you can use in your own family. And I really want you to remember that there's no right way to parent. We're all just diving in headfirst together. So now let's dive into today's episode. A little while ago, maybe a few weeks ago, I remember talking with a mom that I work with. Her two-year-old daughter was having a rough day. One of those days where if you're a parent, you know, nothing seems to be going right. At some point in the conversation, it turned to different ways we can guide our little ones through their feelings. And then this sweet, frustrated mom said, I don't do the feelings thing. I want to raise my kids like my grandparents raised theirs. No feelings involved. I get it. We've all been there. When the meltdowns seem endless and unpredictable, when you give them the red cup when they wanted the blue, we've been there. We've all been there. I'm not telling you this story to drag this mama. I have no doubts that she's doing her absolute best just like the rest of us. I'm telling the story to show that feelings have become somewhat of a divisive topic, 
It seems that we've gotten to a place with a lot of things, but parenting in general, where there are two sides. And as a parent, you have to pick one. Either you breastfeed or you bottle feed. You co-sleep or you cry it out. There's endless either or options. And when it comes to feelings, the sides seem to be the do what you're told, when you're told, obedience focused style of parenting or the no rules, you can do what you want style. I don't know how we got to this place of two sides, but what gets lost in that kind of thinking is that there really is a middle ground. There's a way to parent our kids that incorporates respect and boundaries while still honoring their feelings and growing their emotional intelligence. In my experience though, this can't be done without acknowledging the full range of human emotion that we all feel. Everything we do in life is based on our feelings. As adults, this is true as well. Think how many times you've heard people say things like, "Ugh, I just don't feel like going to work or I'm not feeling well today. When we start dating somebody or go into a new relationship, we say things like, I have feelings for you. All of our actions and behaviors, the choices we make, are based on our feelings. So it doesn't make sense for us to live from our feelings, but to completely avoid this aspect of our kids' experiences. In this episode, we're going to focus mostly on our kids' feelings and ways to grow their emotional intelligence. But here's the kicker. When it comes to teaching our kids how to feel their feelings in a healthy way, we can't teach what we don't know, which means that in order for us to be effective emotional coaches, we have to be doing our own inner work, digging into our own feelings and emotions and modeling what we're teaching them. Ain't none of that do as I say and not as I do shit here. Now, in the spirit of full transparency, I'm going to tell you that feeling the feelings is something that has, is really hard for me. It's something I've really had to work on. Naturally, I'm, I'm a very empathetic person. I can pick up on other people's feelings and I can feel them myself. So holding space for other people's feelings, especially my kids and my husband, that's easy for me. It feels natural. But my own feelings, let's just say somewhere along the way, I picked up some serious limiting beliefs. And honestly, it took me becoming a mom and my strong desire to be an exceptional model for my girls for me to really start doing that inner work. I'm not going to lie and say it's been easy and full of rainbows and Oprah aha moments, but I can say that it's been worth it. So as we talk about our kids' feelings today, just remember that your feelings aren't for fixing either. Our feelings are meant to be felt and moved through, not squashed or hidden, but that's not their sole purpose either. They're not just for feeling. They also provide us with valuable information about where we can grow and shift and adjust. Our feelings don't just pop up out of nowhere. They stem from our thoughts, conditioning, and past experiences as well. So when we acknowledge our feelings without judgment, then we can go back and unpack the thoughts and behaviors that accompany the feeling, and we can choose new thoughts and behaviors for ourselves then we're able to really create the person and parent we want to be. So now that we've touched on our personal role in all of this, let's dive into the who, what, where, why, and how the hell do we apply this idea that feelings aren't for fixing to parenting and our kids. The easiest and most simplistic way I found to approach those big uncomfortable feelings and even the big joyful feelings with our kids is the three A's. Acknowledge, 
allow, and adjust or avail. Obviously, I'm going to expand on these more in this episode, but basically what you want to do is acknowledge whatever feeling your child is having, allow space for that feeling. This means allowing the feeling, not any crap behaviors that might come with the feeling. And then work together to either adjust their thoughts for future situations or avail, use that feeling to create a better outcome next time. Sometimes we can take our anger and channel it into something positive. Now, I know this sounds super simplistic and probably a little wishy-washy, but there's a reason for that. As adults, we process experiences from the logic portion of our brains. The logic part of our brain, for most of us, is fully formed and we can analyze situations and determine if something is a really big deal or not. Children just don't have this ability yet. The logic portion of their brain has just barely started to form and they haven't had the same amount of experiences as we have. So that means to them, any change in their emotional state feels huge. They can't determine between a small E emotion or experience and a big E emotion or experience. They also haven't had the amount of time we've had to pick up tools and techniques for processing their feelings in a healthy way. They haven't had the time to find what works best for them. That's where we come in. This is where the job of heart-centered parenting starts. One of the biggest blocks to the idea of heart-centered parenting is that most of us tend to see our children's lives and their emotions as less complex than our own. We view their childhood experiences through our adult lens. And life through an adult lens, the stakes are much higher. We're navigating a global pandemic, family finances, the health and safety of ourselves and our family, day-to-day schedules, work-life balance, and the minutiae of our everyday lives. So when a child throws a tantrum because they can't find their favorite sweater, it's natural for us to look at that situation through our adult lens and respond in a frustrated, dismissive, this doesn't matter right now kind of way. We also often forget that we ourselves are prone to throwing tantrums when we can't find something we're looking for. Every single one of us has let out the exasperated, oh my god, where are my keys, and stomped around while you're trying to find them. But when we do that, when we apply an adult lens to our children's childhood experiences, it just doesn't translate well. It's two different languages. If we're able to shift our focus from the specifics of the situation, the lost sweater, the thing that we can't find, to the feelings that are fueling the situation, we're able to give our kids the opportunity to grow their emotional intelligence and gain the skills we want them to have to handle a similar situation differently in the future. The second major block that people have with heart-centered parenting is the misconception that it's overly permissive and it's going to lead to bratty, spoiled kids who throw fits every time they don't get what they want. But in reality, it's actually the opposite. When we acknowledge our children's feelings, when we show empathy to them and equip them with tools to handle the uncomfortable emotions that they're inevitably going to feel because we all do, we see tantrums and emotional explosions lessen in intensity and frequency. They're able to use their words to talk about their feelings. Heart-centered kids are more empathetic to others because they have an understanding of emotions. You've given them that full range of human emotion. They're more resilient. They're able to move forward more smoothly after difficult experiences because they know how to process the complicated emotions without internalizing them. They don't shift into something different. All of these 
are skills every parent wants for their children. We all just go about it in different ways. Our job in all of this isn't to create a space where our kids never feel uncomfortable emotions. They're going to feel those emotions. We need to show them how. We don't want to label feelings as good and bad. Our job is to help our kids figure out what tools are the most effective for them to work through all the feelings they're going to have. The third biggest block to this shift in parenting is the either-or mindset. The idea that if you choose to focus on emotional intelligence and make space for your children's feelings, you can't also set loving boundaries, teach them about the power of a positive mindset, consequences, and grit. Just before Halloween, I came across a post in a community Facebook group. The person who wrote the post talked about how they were sick of hearing people say, the kids have lost so much already with COVID, just let them have trick-or-treating. And at one point, they even called the people who were saying these things pathetic. They then went on to say that this is the attitude that's giving kids a victim mentality and parents should use this Halloween as a time to get creative and teach their kids how to push through hard times. All I could think while I was reading this, though, was why is it one or the other? Why do we have to choose? If we're going to model true resilience, it requires us to recognize a loss, not gloss over it, and then shift our focus to new ways of handling a situation. You can say to your kids, I know you're bummed that trick-or-treating looks different this year. It's such a fun tradition. I'm sad about it too. And then say, here's what we're going to do to make the best of it. Heart-centered parenting is not either feelings or function, it's both. The other thing when you go into this either-or mentality is that kids don't necessarily know that this new thing that you've come up with is going to be fun. They know the old thing, that trick-or-treating, all the things that they did before, that that was fun. They haven't experienced this new thing yet, so I can understand why they may be a little resistant to this new idea. And the last and probably most common block to not just heart-centered parenting, but any kind of parenting is perfectionism. The idea that there's a perfect way to do this or that we have to know the perfect way to talk about feelings is totally and completely nonsense. One of the major perks to heart-centered parenting is that when you mess up, when you do make a mistake, because inevitably we're all going to, it provides an awesome opportunity to model for your kids how to recover from a mistake. You can use your mistake to start discussions about apologizing, owning your mistake, and how to make amends after you recognize a slip-up. The other beautiful thing about heart-centered parenting is that it can buy you some time. When a difficult situation comes up that you aren't sure how to handle yet, you don't have to respond right away or even give corrections in that moment. You can just let it be what it is. You can say, I need to think about what to do here, and then shift your focus to connection with your kid, not perfection of some parenting style. In that moment, you can choose a way to connect with your little one. Maybe read a book, brush their hair, let them brush yours, tell a funny joke, dance a little bit, go for a walk, and then take time to reflect on the situation and address it when you're able to be intentional in your parenting and they're in a space where they can actually receive what you're saying. That may be five minutes after the situation. It could be five hours. It can also be days later, depending on what the situation is. Connection over perfection always wins. So great. If you're still listening, I'm assuming you've bought in or at least intrigued by the idea of heart-centered parenting. But what does this actually look like in real life, in real time? How do we actually implement it in our homes? 
the first step, and I touched on it at the beginning of the episode, and I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over because it is so, so, so important, is to work on this skill for yourself. Give yourself the time and space to feel your own feelings. Don't think through them. I'm the queen of that. Don't judge them. Feel them first and then choose the thoughts to create new feelings that serve you better. It's difficult to teach what we don't know and our children have really amazing bullshit detectors. So if you aren't practicing what you preach, they'll be quick to call you out and they're going to be really distrusting of you when you try to implement it with them. The next thing to remember when it comes to emotional coaching is that we have to teach when our kids are teachable. If you are knee deep in a meltdown, whether it's toddler to teenager, that is not the time to start teaching them about breathing, positive mindset, or healthy coping mechanisms. When they are melting down, they're no longer working from that logic part of their brain. Their logic has gone offline. It's gone right now. And they're only focused on how out of control and overwhelming their feelings are inside their bodies are raging. That means that in order to get to a teachable place, we've got to bring our calm to their storm. So when a big, usually unpleasant feeling overwhelms your child, the most calming thing you can do is... Da, 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 da. here comes that first A, acknowledge it and name it. Think of it like when you're telling a friend or a partner about a bad day you had. You don't want them to immediately try and fix it or tell you how you could have handled things differently or worse, have them go on and on about why what you're feeling upset about doesn't even matter. You just want them to listen and say, oh, that sounds crappy. Our kids are the same. It's the same for them. So step one, Just acknowledge the feeling and name it. You're sad, you're angry, you're disappointed, you're frustrated, you're excited, you're happy, whatever it is. This may seem unnecessary and I know you're thinking, thanks Captain Obvious, I know they're mad, they know they're mad, do we really need the narration? And the answer is, kind of annoyingly, yeah, we do. When kids are really young, They just don't have the vocabulary to say what they're feeling. They don't associate the feeling they're having in their body to an actual word. The words frustrated or excited have no meaning to them. They just know what it feels like in their bodies. So when they're happy, they skip and sing and laugh because it feels good in their body. When they're frustrated, they yell and throw things and hit because it feels good to do something with all that crappy feeling inside. When we take the time to narrate the feelings for them, it gives them the vocabulary for what they're experiencing and helps them associate the feeling in their body to the word where you keep repeating for them. When we are narrating feelings for them, we want to be careful not to label some feelings as good and others as bad. Finding a way to describe feelings without judgmental labels is a huge help in teaching emotional intelligence because... It helps not to add guilt or shame to feelings that are already really uncomfortable. For us, we've explained it to our girls as our feelings are like the weather. We can have sunshine feelings and we can have cloudy feelings. Just like cloudy days, cloudy feelings can be dark and dreary, but they also give us the opportunity to rest and talk and ask for help and snuggle on the couch. Eventually, the clouds will pass and you'll feel sunny again. The clouds don't stay forever. And without the cloudy feelings, the sunny feelings that we have wouldn't feel so awesome. We also talk about how nature needs both the sunny days and the cloudy, rainy days in order for everything to grow. The cloudy days grow us as people just as much as the sunny days. We need the full range of emotions in order to grow. There's value in both the sun and the cloudy days. We need to lean into both. 
When you find a way to describe feelings that's non-judgmental and easy to understand, that kind of paints a picture of feelings for them, it makes the narrating process much easier for you as the parent. Once you've started narrating feelings and you've been doing this for a while, as your kids get older, when those feelings come up, then they will have that vocabulary to verbally express what they're feeling. Instead of dropping to the floor, kicking and screaming, they can say, I'm angry. And as they get older, they'll even be able to say, I'm angry because. Oftentimes you'll hear people say to kids, use your words. They say that a lot. You hear it in schools a lot and you hear it out on the playground a lot. Use your words. But in order to get them to use their words, we have to not only teach them the words, but also help them associate that feeling to those words. Now, when we're talking about narrating for older children, it becomes less about teaching them the names for their feelings because now you've already done that, although they might still need help with the language for some of the more complicated and nuanced feelings like embarrassment or shame. Our narration becomes about validating their feelings and holding space for them to have those feelings, again, without our judgment or problem fixing. When we approach uncomfortable feelings this way, it normalizes the feeling and shows them that you see what's going on and understand them. It also opens the door for you to help guide them through those emotions. As an adult, you're not about to take advice from someone who doesn't even understand what the problem is, or again, worse, doesn't even recognize that there's a problem. Our kids are no different in this. They're much more open to our guidance if they know we're listening to them without judgment. If they know that we're comfortable holding space for their uncomfortable feelings, and if they know we aren't about to rush into problem fixing it for them. So now, once you've gone through the process of acknowledging the feelings and naming it, it's time for that second A, which is allow. This is where we just hold space for the feelings. Eventually, the intensity of any feeling will pass. Feelings are not forever, and they don't need to be fixed. They just need to be felt. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to allow crappy, junky behavior that might come along with some of those feelings. This is just you allowing the feeling and allowing the feeling doesn't have to be some soft-spoken, wishy-washy, now Johnny, let's not do that. I might be extremely passionate about heart-centered parenting, but I'm also a don't-take-shit kind of person, so I completely get how people can be turned off when they see that approach. It doesn't have to look like that. You can be firm and kind at the same time. Again, there is a middle ground between wishy-washy and totally shutting down feelings. For me, that usually sounds like, oh, I can see you're sad because of X, Y, Z. Fill in whatever is happening. Being sad's okay. Sometimes I feel sad too. I'm here to talk if you'd like. Or do you need a hug? If it's one of the more aggressive feelings like anger and it's maybe coming with some junk behaviors that I don't want, I'll say something along the lines of, I can see you're angry. Being angry is completely okay, but fill in junky behavior is not. Can you think of another way you can let your anger out? When the dark, overwhelming part of the feeling passes and that logic part of your child's brain has rebooted and come back online, now you'll be able to go into that teaching mode and know that they'll be able to receive what you're saying to them. This goes back to the idea of teach when they're teachable. And this is where the third A, adjust or avail, enters the party. This is the space where we can come up with different strategies for what to do when a big feeling hits again or guide them to use that big feeling to create something good. The only thing that you want to remember with the adjust or avail is that you don't need to rush into it. Sometimes that allow space for the feeling could take a few minutes and sometimes it can take much longer. So allow whatever time 
your child needs to really move through that feeling and feel it and own it before you move into the adjust. Once you get to the adjust phase, there are so many different strategies and it's gonna take some trial and error to find out what works best for your family. That's also why it's called adjust because sometimes we have to switch up the tools to get the results we're looking for. It's a good idea to have more than one tool in your tool belt since often what is effective one day may not be effective another day. Being able to switch between strategies is a really helpful way to make sure that you can continue focusing on the feelings. I'm going to share some of what we use in our family throughout this episode and then after the episode airs I'm going to create a space online on on our Instagram page at Raising You and Me where I would love if you would share your tools as well so that we can all build up our heart-centered parenting toolboxes. So in our house, visuals and charts and lists are tools that work really well for our girls. They're great because they can decorate them and make them their own, which gives them a sense of autonomy and they get to use that creative part of their brain, which is always a bonus. A few months ago, I had our girls each create their own chart just a white piece of paper where I divide it into nine squares and include different things on their chart that they can do when they're having big feelings, uncomfortable feelings that they aren't maybe sure how to deal with. They included things like finger breathing, which if you don't know, you just hold your hand out like a five, you take your index finger on the other hand, start at the bottom of your thumb, take a big breath in as you draw your finger up your thumb and a big breath out as you go down. You continue doing it through your fingers. It's just a grounding exercise. So they included things like finger breathing, heart holding, the 54321 technique, going for a walk or standing outside, doing yoga poses, dancing, listening to a meditation or a podcast, journaling and story writing, drawing, reading, taking a nap, spending some time alone, cuddling with family or their stuffies, take a bath or a shower, and their both of their favorite one is usually hugs. This has been really helpful for a few reasons. For me, it's really helped so that I could see what their preferences are. I could see the things that they would choose to go to when they're feeling those big emotions. And then I know what's most helpful to them in those moments. It's also helpful because then I can create opportunities for them to practice those things in unstressful moments. The 54321 technique is a really great example of this and something we incorporate often. It's a grounding exercise to help you calm down during panic moments. It's really simple. You just start listing things. Five things that you can see, four things you can touch, three you can hear, two you can smell, and one that you can taste. It works really well to bring you into the present moment and it works well to bring your kids into the present moment when those feelings are taking over. It's super easy to practice. Often when we're driving, I'll just call out five, four, three, two, one, and they take turns going through their list. By practicing these things during unstressful moments, it's going to make it much easier when emotions are really high to lean into the techniques that you've chosen and have it be effective. Another way that the charts were really helpful is that once they are in the moment and their feelings are really surging in their bodies, because we've worked on narrating, they can usually name what they're feeling, but it's not always easy to ask for help when you have those feelings. So the charts make it easy for me to say, how can I help you right now? They can just look at their chart and just point if they don't even have the words. This also avoids me having to go through a list of saying, do you want to hug? Do you need to be alone? Do you, do you need to go for a walk? And offering up all these suggestions. Because they're already working through whatever the situation is and having these uncomfortable feelings, when I start having to list those things, 
it just becomes another decision they have to make and becomes overwhelming. So by having that chart, we remove that long list of decisions and we can get right into what is helpful for them. Another tool that we use a lot, and this one might sound a little strange, but it's the movie Inside Out. If you haven't seen the movie, I went online and got the description, and the description reads, 11-year-old Riley moves to San Francisco, leaving behind her life in Minnesota. She and her five core emotions, fear, anger, joy, disgust, and sadness, struggle to cope with her new life. My girls love this movie, and I think it's, it's super cute too, but... In the movie, the core emotions all live at a place in Riley's mind they call headquarters. As the movie progresses, Riley responds to situations differently depending on which emotion is in control at headquarters. We have talked a lot about how each of us has our own headquarters in our own minds. When they're experiencing an overwhelming feeling, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, I'm able to ask, who do you think's in control at your headquarters right now? When they have an issue with a friend or a classmate at school, I can also ask them, who they think was in charge of their friend's headquarters at the time. It's a really great emotional recognition tool, but it's also great for teaching empathy because then it gets them thinking about what another person might be feeling at that time. Using this as a tool also helps with the adjusting phase because after acknowledging the feeling and allowing it, you can follow up by asking them if they're ready to adjust the feeling in control at headquarters. Maybe they need to move from fear to joy or from anger to calm. You can talk about why certain emotions take control sometimes, and then you can coach them through the process of shifting their perspective. It's also an incredible tool for showing that certain emotions tend to go together. Fear and anger usually work together, and that situations can be filled with more than one emotion. You can have sadness and joy at the same time. Those two emotions can coexist. But if it really comes down to it, and I had to pick just one, I think my favorite emotions coaching tool has got to be books. Kids' books with a lesson or a message are a love language for me. I'm constantly collecting them, and I think they are the most incredible teaching tool and the most incredible connection tool. Reading with your kids already puts you into a connected space. It's automatic. You're physically close because you have to be sitting near each other to hear the book, but you also have to be fully present to be reading. Nobody can be on their phone. Nobody can be having a conversation with somebody else. It's just a fully connected moment. You can use any book at all to talk about emotions. It doesn't have to be a feeling-specific book. You don't need a book dedicated to each emotion. While you're reading, you can just talk about the, what the characters are feeling. Talk about how they're handling situations, who might be in charge at their headquarters, and how they could handle situations differently. Ask your kids how they're feeling about the story and how they might handle it if they were in the same situation. If your child is struggling with a certain emotion or situation, you can choose a book that highlights what they're going through and then relate the story back to their life. Kids do this without even realizing. We look for similarities in people and characters everywhere we go. Over the summer, we took the girls on vacation for a few days and the hotel we were staying at had a pool. Our youngest daughter was really, really nervous about jumping into the pool and she just kept walking into the stairs. Eventually, she decided that she did want to jump in and she really took her time to do it. But after she did do it, she did jump into the pool all by herself. She turned to me and said, Mama, I'm so proud. I feel just like Jabari must have. It took me a hot minute to realize that she wasn't talking about a person she knew. She was talking about a character in one of the books we'd read. We hadn't read the book in a while, but she had remembered the feelings and internalized them from that book. I could sit here and list off a hundred more ways to discuss feelings with your kids. There are so many and 
you can really take the time to find the ones that work for you. But when it really comes down to it, it doesn't matter what tools you use. It doesn't matter if you say things perfectly or if you get it right every time. It doesn't matter how you do it. It just matters that you do. It matters that you show up for the conversations. It matters that you model what it means to be emotionally intelligent and to take care of your own mental and emotional well-being. It matters that you teach them young what most of us learned really late. It matters that you take the time to work through the steps, acknowledge, allow, adjust, or avail, because all of these steps help build connection, and connection builds real confidence and lasting relationships. I firmly and wholeheartedly believe that confident, emotionally intelligent kids are capable of accomplishing pretty much anything they set their sights on, and I can't wait to see what all these heart-centered kids do. I know you can do this. Cheering you on always, friends. Stay safe. Talk soon.